This is the Stop Time Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Hopkins, and I'm here to engage you in thought-provoking motivational conversations around practicing the art of living in the moment. I'm a certified life coach, and I'm excited to dig deep and offer insights into embracing who we are and where we are at. So my guest today is an Emmy award-winning editor who has been cutting feature drama and documentary projects since 2008. His films have screened theatrically on major television networks, NBC, ESPN, BBC, and Channel 4, and at film festivals around the world. His debut feature as an editor, Newtown Killers, received three BAFTA Scotland nominations for Best Film, Best Director, and Best Actor after premiering at the BFA London Film Festival. His most recent feature documentary, My Beautiful Stutter, has won several festival awards and premieres in 2021 as a Discovery Plus original. Stephen also directs and has won awards for his commercials and short documentaries, and he currently combines his work as an editor with commercials directing. Welcome, Stephen. Hi there. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me today on Stop Time. Pleasure. Ah. Good to be here. Good to be talking to somebody. Right. So where, where are you spending most of your time these days? Where are you calling in from? Oh. Well, I'm, I'm hiding in Australia at the moment. So I kind of divide my time. I'm, I'm normally based in, in England, but I've, you know, I work all around the world depending on, on the projects. But my wife's Australian and uh, we spend a lot of time in Australia. And we were meant to be in the UK right now, but um, I saw what was happening in the world and we wanted to spend a big chunk of this time before my daughter started school. Mm. Um, in Australia and so we basically turned turned around got on a plane managed to get a flight and got back to Australia and we haven't been able to get back since um, but luckily for me um, although work has changed um, I have had a long project that I'm working on that's kind of kept me busy but uh, yeah it's um, it's a good place to be right now it's been a long time when we left in March I didn't think I'd be away for a year <laughs> It's it's a bit crazy, but um, yeah, there's just no rhyme or reason to yeah. uh, to be heading back if I don't have to. And um, luckily at the moment, I don't have to. No, absolutely. You know, right off the bat, I just wanted to point out that the bio that you gave me doesn't include anything about you being a writer. And I'm mm. hoping that this was an oversight because were, were you or were you not credited as the writer in my beautiful stutter? It's an interesting kind of conundrum when it comes to documentary. Um mm. And there's a kind of a debate really as to how much writing goes on in the edit and especially when it comes to documentary. And I, 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 I've been quite lucky in, in the projects that I've worked on that I've been given a lot of, um, I say, freedom to, to take the material and, and explore the story. And so I end up, um, certainly in a documentary context, writing the films, um, yeah. you know, creating the story. And, you know, I do love that aspect of it. And having had a directing background and, mm. and having the strange kind of career path of starting directing and then moving into post, kind of finding that although I love directing, the post-production side is where my heart was. Um, mm. You really discover the story and you, you work with music, you, you work with, with pacing, you work with every kind of element um, that you can. Um, you know, for me in documentary, the directing was very much about gathering the raw material, you know, getting the right stuff, but not really knowing what you have until you get in the edit. And, and the edit was the most fun part. And, uh, and the directors that I've been working with um, have been very happy for me to, to take a writing role. 
Um, mm. And when it came to my most recent film, you know, take kind of a, a sole role in that. Still a collaboration, but but very much, um, yeah, me taking taking the onus on myself to to produce the film, um, you know, and then just um, work on the kind of the back end and, and refining that story. Yeah. No, I love that. One of the taglines used to promote the film is um, a quote, I think, from the founder of Say, the Stuttering Association for the Young. Um, and it, it just really struck me. I think it's brilliant. Um, we are all human beings who want to be heard. And that means letting everyone have as much time as they need to speak. I mean, absolutely beautiful. I, you know, I truly believe that work like this needs to be celebrated and elevated. Um, I'd be honored if you would take a moment just to share a little bit more. I know this isn't, you know, I'm, I always say this isn't really just about what people do, but I think it's so important. I do. Um, and it's kind of what brought me to you. So I'm just going to go with that instinct. Mm. Um, if you can tell me just a little bit more about this remarkable film and how you came to telling this story. Well, this was um, initiated for a company I've been working with called Believe Limited, um, based in Los Angeles. And the director or the, the one of the co-founders of Believe, Ryan Geelan, um, he was approached about the story. Um, he met Michael Alden, um, Broadway producer, and um, he was actively involved with Say, which is the Stuttering Association of the Young, based in New York. And he thought there was a really important story to be told with this organization and the, and the good that it does um, in using the arts to empower kids that stutter to gain confidence and to not worry about the stutter, but to become confident and happy with themselves first and foremost. And he invited Ryan to, to, to see if there was a story there and to see if there was a film that, that, that he could make. And, uh, and that was the beginning of that. Um, having had a working relationship with Ryan, um, the production company, I believe, you know, Ryan brought me on board after he'd done an initial um, series, a piece of filming. Um, and he'd spent about one year with the society and, and say, invite kids to do workshops, um, to perform plays, to write and perform. Um, and they'll also have a summer camp um, based mm -hmm. in Carolina where um, kids from all over the US can come and join in. And Ryan spent the summer there filming um, the kids. And so a large part of the documentary is the camp, Camp Say. And so Ryan came back with all this raw material and he gave the footage to me. And, um, you know, I, I kind of took it upon myself to then explore that footage and, and find the story. You know, how do we mm. tell the story of these kids in a compelling, entertaining way and get across, you know, um, to educate the audience as to what it is like to have a stutter and, and what it is like to be a stutterer um, in a world where, you know, for a lot of people, you know, people have pre preconceived notions of what stuttering is and, and, mm -hmm. and, and why you stutter. And also that stuttering is something that, that needs to be avoided and, and something that you can get over. And, and these were kind of preconceptions that we wanted to remove uh, from people's consciousness uh, and to yeah. look at stuttering in a different way. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And going back to the quote that you you mentioned, mm. the big thing that came out of it is is we're so used to in today's world of of expecting things now and instantly and and you know wanting instant responses and not having the patience anymore for things. Every, you know, your life's going along at 100 miles an hour, um, and we're so used to completing other people's sentences. If people stutter, we think that they need help or that they're nervous, um, and we don't give them time. And if you don't give someone time, you're not going to hear 
what they have to say and you're going to miss out on something quite profound probably and you're not going to learn something and just to kind of take a step back you know breathe listen kind of opens your mind to you know more possibilities so support seems to be a theme in your work would you say that's true i think so certainly the documentaries and there's a big difference Mm -hmm. between Mm. well there's a big difference between commercials commercials the drama and documentaries, but I'm really attracted to films that explore the human condition and address what it means to be human, how individuals work out their position in the world and how they go on these journeys where they learn a lot about themselves. And ultimately through empowering themselves and being being proactive, end up changing other people's lives and changing the world. And that's that is incredible because it just shows that everyone you know, goes on very similar journeys, but we also can influence things. Mm. And I think that's important to know because a lot of the time we're thinking, you know, do I matter? And I think the stories that I've been trying to tell show that people do matter and you know, we can achieve great things even by just doing the small things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. And I love those. I love the stories that that explore that. And and just moving audiences. I think there's nothing more moving than seeing someone evolve uh, and and change and affect someone. There's nothing more profound than watching a true story. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. they can be outrageous stories. You know, things that that you would never do in a fiction film because they wouldn't be believable, but because they happen in a, in a documentary, they are so much more unexpected and so much more moving. They sort of present themselves, don't they? You don't necessarily know what you're going to get. You go in expecting one thing and you never know, do you? That's kind of exciting. It's a journey itself, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting for me from an editing point of view and writing point of view. I mean, you do start to identify films that, that do surprise you. And yet, because it's a real story, you can't help but be moved each time. Whereas I think if I watch a fiction film and it has, you know, it's hitting all the beats and you're seeing, oh, that, you know, this is, there's going to be a twist here or it's going to change here, that you become a bit numb to it because you're aware of the artifice of the film. There's just something deeply compelling about a true story. Uh, and it's certainly something I'm very passionate about ever since. Um, ever since, you know, I started university, really. Hmm. Yeah. Why do you suppose that is? Like, why do you think that's important to you to tell to tell stories? I think it's, I mean, there's, there's no reason to tell a story unless you're going to share it with somebody. I think it's that, that human connection. Hmm. You know, you want that film to get out into the world. There's something comforting and to share it with someone and see them moved by it and to understand what you were getting at. So that sense, the sense of fulfillment is when you make something and they, they pull out of it things that you wanted them to pull out of it Mm. are moved in the right places. And just the process of doing it as well is like any piece of art, you know, or any piece of music. And, And that's why I like the editing side of it. Is because you know you are creating a a symphony, you are creating a painting, and when it works and it clicks and the rhythms are there, and you're feeling the the you know the uplift in the right places, and you're feeling the, the weight of the the emotion in other places, that's incredibly visceral and that's incredibly mm. kind of elemental, and that's a kind of really powerful, profound feeling. And you're just trying to get to that place where everything's kind of clicking, and it and and, it, and the ultimate goal is that everything feels like it's in the right place, and then you know you've you've got something because it just seems like it always should have been that way. 
Yeah. yeah. Was there a moment where you kind of knew that this is what you wanted to do, that you wanted to tell stories? Was there sort of a turning point for you, where, you know, a visceral moment where you were like, yeah. I know how old I was, hmm. but I don't know the actual moment. Hmm. Yeah, I would have been about 13, 14. Just watching films, watching, I think watching films and getting excited by them and, and then finding out that, you know, they're something that's, that, that are created and hmm. that people are there creating them. I think it's a moment when you think, well, that's something that maybe I could do. And, and just having a thirst for knowledge as well. I mean, I studied history at university. You know, history is all about people's stories. Yeah. And, you know, I love that side of it. And I had all these VHS <laughs> tapes. Now, did I ever go back and watch all those films? Probably not. But there was something <laughs> kind of, there was, there was something nice to say, there they are, they're there. And I'm constantly, you know, looking at these like books on a shelf. Yeah. And just taking in the names of the people and, and, and the films that are there and just developing this kind of film knowledge. Yeah. And then thinking that this is something that I want to maybe do after university. Um, just try and make it in in the film industry and everyone was telling me don't study film mm. because if you study film do it because you're passionate about it but don't mm. do it thinking that it's going to lead to a career because there's no substitute for the work and you learn the most important things during the process of making films but for me a couple of years in the industry was just as valuable as a couple of years film school. It, it sounds like you have a very pragmatic side. Um, what really stood out, I asked you, when when did you get this this sort of aha moment? And you said, well, mm. I don't remember the moment, but I remember how old I was. You, you put it into a, an, a non-visceral place, but rather a, a headspace, you mm. know? And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the pragmatic, I think the, <laughs> the pragmatic side, I think probably is very, very true. Um, yeah. Just, uh, I do think luck's a big part of it as well. But I suppose that kind of says a lot about my kind of journey where things have been lucky in terms of they're things that I haven't planned. I've just kind of followed that path. Someone's given an opportunity's opened up and I've gone down that, that avenue and I've kind of kept going down there. What I haven't been doing is I haven't been saying, other than wanting to, you know, be a film director and work in feature films, I kind of haven't had a very narrow conception of what that means. I've kind of just explored avenues and, and taking opportunities and while you know while the rest of life is kind of happening around that mm -hmm. and uh, because you know your work isn't in a microcosm you know you, you live a life as well yes so what my work has also done is it's allowed me to have this very fluid life where i yes. you know i can be in different countries i can take my work different places i can take weeks off or i can work seven days a week and and that's been very good to me I never had, you know, a nine to five job ever, apart from maybe the first year or two years working as a runner. But yeah, it's it, the, the pragmatism. I think there's a side of me. I'm kind of a very artsy person that loves being creative. And yet there's this pragmatic where I just need, I need, I need that thing. I need that um, sense of structure. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And these kinds of external things like pandemics and these, these yeah. massive life changes really, you know, shine the light on, on reflection and all that if you're open to it, which you are because that's your artist side and because you have to be because you aren't working nine to five, <laughs> you know, yeah. just uh, I found on Vimeo you had posted. I know I know it's a very old film of yours, um, but you had done the, the two swimmers. 
right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, so I thought, oh my God, yeah. this is fun. And it's not that long. And and uh, I was having lunch and I thought, oh, I'll just watch it. This will be, this will be wonderful, you know? Fantastic. Um, and so congrats, I loved it. So it it actually blew me away because I was, I was watching. I said, this fits so beautifully, you know, into sort of the idea of, you know, the coach and the support and the different, you know, dangling the carrot, you know, like just, it's just kind mm, of an, an mm. interesting thing. And then you sidewinded me with the, like, what? <laughs> At the end, I mean, you know, spoiler alert, I, I, I was like, well, that, there it is. There it is. And without mm-hmm. telling anyone except that they should watch it. Um, and I'll put it in the show notes. But when Mark Rickhouse has heard remarking that time is irrelevant and that getting from one side to the other is the important thing, really, it's a metaphor for life's journey, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Talk to me about your long game versus, you know, in in a in in a creative career, there are obvious quote unquote goals, bullet points on a resume, things to study, you, you know, mm. Emmys to win. But tell me about you know how that factors in versus you know how you see yourself in your long game. I mean, the short term the short term um, goals are always you know, what's the next project, who do I want to work with, what the type of film is, um, what genre, in order to you know keep things fresh in order to kind of keep being challenged and then within those projects you know once you get into a project you know it does become all consuming and your goal is to make the best possible film you know to to use that footage in the best way you can um, and to do justice to that footage there's obviously a set time frame for that and then when you get to the end of that film feeling that i can't you know i can't go through that again anytime soon but you have selective amnesia and, you know, as soon as you hear about another project, that excitement starts again, you know, and, and you want to keep working because that's, it's your passion and you have so much fun in trying to craft a new story. And so you, you're looking for project after project after project. The longer goals are, can those projects, you know, reach bigger audiences can they move people in in more profound ways or can they you know educate people on a, on a topic that you feel passionate about um and that you feel needs to be out into the world that people need to be educated on a particular subject or just made aware of something um and i think that becomes a goal longer than that you know, you're developing relationships with people. And I think it's such a nice feeling to have collaborators that that understand you and you understand them and you develop a shorthand and that you know, you're going on a journey together and that that part of the journey is, is exciting. And um, the longer term goal from that is to, yeah, to produce a body of work that you're proud of and to put yourself in a position where... You know, you can have a choice of projects, I think, and you can decide what you want to do um, and gives you some kind of financial security as well. I think ultimately, you know, there's there's a pragmatism around getting work that gives you the ability to, to take your time and to have more time with family. So, you know, you're, you're, you're earning enough to be able to have that time away because when you're working on a project, it does become all consuming and you mm-hmm. do want to spend a lot of time with it. And I think one of the things that, that is a challenge um, in the short term is how you do manage that time. I think a lot of time with, with editing, and I think it goes for any creative kind of 
industry is is the downtime is just as important as the time you're working on something the time to be able to think the time to step back mm-hmm. when you're working on something um, and you're hitting roadblocks and you you're really struggling um, with problems you know to come at it fresh the next day or to come at it fresh after a a walk around the block or something mm-hmm. um, suddenly opens all these new doors mm. and it's also not to beat yourself up as well if you if you aren't working because to have that time is so important yeah. you know, to be able to step away is so important yeah I think long-term goals is to be able to work on things that I mean normally with with more money there's normally more pressure and there's yeah. normally more more tight deadlines but <laughs> Ideally, you you know, you'd have more money to work on something that you'd have longer to and have longer to do it, and it would become a better product because of that. Mm. Uh, and I think that's probably the the irony, I suppose, of of, of filmmaking that the projects yeah. that you have the most time to do are the ones that you get paid very little to do, and yet uh-huh. probably turn out better because of that. It's so interesting. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. And it's um, you know, I often ask my guests, you know, um, how do you want to be remembered? So as uh, if you were editing your, you know, memorial video for yourself, what story would mm-hmm. you tell? What, what clips would you, would you use? What would be the rhythm of the shots? What colors? What, you know, tell me what the experience would be, what, what the people who love you would be watching. I'm very lucky that I've got a wife who records everything because we've got <laughs> a young daughter. So she's constantly got the camera going. And so, you know, a big part of that memorial will probably be footage um, from 2015 to whenever I die. Before that, it would be a montage of photographs um, with some fun kind of music behind it. Uh, I think it's funny. I think when I think of that, I think I don't think of the work. You know, I think of the memorial would be all these, all the, all the home and family things. Mm-hmm. it'd be all the kind of home movies that all the home kind of videos that I, I used to do with my sister we used to kind of you know film each other doing crazy things or reenacting silly monty python sketches and um and just larking around um and the home movies of you know me playing around with stop stop frame animation while my dad's doing wallpapering <laughs> uh my grandma's house and so i think you know the filmmaking is probably <laughs> There'll be a kind of a, a tease that I'm a filmmaker just from the types of stuff that I film. But um, in terms of the memorial, I can't think of the, I, I think of all the home movie clips and all the, mm-hmm. uh, all the video with family. Because I think that that's what, that's what ultimately keeps you grounded and what gives you, you know, the most satisfaction at the end of the day. And what, what allows you to, to be the, the creative that you need to be. If you haven't got that kind of stable background or that, that grounding, then it's very difficult in a in a situ in a career where that, it, that you have there isn't any discipline. You know, you have to be especially now with the pandemic. You've got to be so self-disciplined with your time. So make sure you you are working, you are moving forward, and not standing still. That to have that secure kind of background really really helps that. Um, mm. And it's what ultimately you can keep falling back to. You know, just just take stock. I don't know. It's the uh, it's the service of the trampoline that you can keep kind of bouncing back on um, mm. as you try and jump higher and higher. Tell me more about that. That's amazing. Say that again. No, probably because <laughs> I've just got a trampoline outside we're about to sell. I've got trampolines on my mind. It's that canvas that you that's there and it's got a bit of give and you can, you know, it's not it's not completely solid because no family is. You've got your ups and downs, but it 
you can always, when you, whenever you fall, it's always there to catch you and then hopefully spring you back up, you know, and, and the more give that it has, like my wife, you know, gives me a lot of freedom to pursue my, my kind of career, you know, to, to look after my daughter when I'm, when, when I've got a lot, a lot of work on and, and vice versa, but she gives me a lot of flexibility, but because she gives me that flexibility, you know, like that trampoline canvas, you know, it gives mm-hmm. you that extra spring to be able to go higher, to reach, reach higher. That's brilliant. That is, that is a beautiful image that you just conjured. When you are catapulted up by all this support mm. of your family, what do you see from up there? Um, hmm, do I see? I suppose there's, well, there's a sense of calm. Then there's a sense of serenity up there. You know, that moment where just, if, just when you reach the top of that jump and just before you start to fall, you know, you're, you're weightless. And that's a really great place to be. You have that moment of calm and inner peace. Mm. Um, and then you, the wind starts brushing past you and you're, you're back down to the ground again. But, <laughs> you, know, you need that perspective as well. You know, if you have that, if you're weightless all the time, that would get boring. Yeah. So, um, totally beautiful. Thank you so much for playing. Um, what is, what is your definition of living in the moment? I think it's seizing opportunities, mm. just being open to things. You know, living in the moment is being aware and attuned to everything that's going on around you. So you're aware when that door opens, mm. because if you're not living in the moment, you're missing things. You're missing important things, the little things. Mm. Um, if you have children, your child doing something for the first time, that's always a an amazing moment or you know, living in the moment you're um, constantly evaluating where you want to go where you want to be and while well, living in the moment is having the confidence to do something there's so many there's so many times where mm. i've had the opportunity to do something for instance you know do you want to go for a walk today or do you want to do you want to go for a bike ride or do you want to go and visit the zoo or do you want to go to the, to watch this play do you want to go to the cinema and you think oh i'm quite comfortable sitting here you know doing my thing reading this book or doing some work and yet going to that place whatever it was has either been a really amazing experience and memories that last a lot longer than the memories that you would have created doing that work or reading that book or you meet someone on that journey that leads to something else and everything i've done everything i've done has been through those connections and through seizing those moments and you know it's always a rabbit hole to go down that that path of thinking what if i hadn't have done that where would my life be now but I think that's also a, an exciting thing to know that if I do take the opportunity, something exciting might happen. And you know, my life could go in a different direction. That's an exciting thing to think about. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times there's there's a laziness that can set in. And I think right now as well with the pandemic, you know, it's very easy to be lazy, to think that I can't, you know, I can't do something or there's no point in me doing something today. It's no point in me doing this thing because I'm not going to be able to go where I normally want to go. Or and I think that you know that that leads to a very dark place. And I think we need to always look to to challenge ourselves, look to do things, look to be proactive, and constantly take stock. You know, constantly try and get out of it, get outside of ourselves, and look at ourselves in order to to be that you know that conscience. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, you know, finding that more and more and more where, you know, I'm constantly trying to give myself a kick to, to do stuff, to not just, you know, be be blinkered and just think, well, I've got this to do, so I'm just going to do this because that's very controllable and very tangible. You know, I know mm. what this is and 
I know what I'm getting out of it and not to be open to that, to the other thing. Yeah. What do you know will stay true about you no matter what happens? Um, I think that sense of, well, sense of curiosity. Mm. I think I'm always going to be curious to learn new things and not to be ignorant of the world. If you're not paying attention to things, and I don't think you're really contributing. I'd also always be a passionate storyteller. Mm. I think I always want to tell stories. Yeah, absolutely. So as we near the end of our interview, let's play What Makes You. So what makes you laugh? I think, yeah, awkwardness makes me laugh. The irony in thing, irony makes me laugh. Ironic situations, mm-hmm. just the, the profundity of, of something yeah. makes me laugh. What makes you hungry? Not eating. Um, what makes me hungry? Uh, no, not. <laughs> I love that you said not eating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what makes everybody hungry. What makes you hungry? <laughs> well, the lack of work. Yeah. Not not working makes me hungry for more work. What makes you mad? Injustice. Frustrated. An edit that doesn't work. Interested. Meeting a new person. Motivated. Deadlines. What inspires you? When I've seen a good film mm. that's moved me. And finally, what makes you grateful? My wife. Mm. Brilliant. What are the what are the top three things that have happened so far today? Well, well, I woke up and I didn't have as many aches and pains as I did yesterday. <laughs> I played football, I played soccer for the first time, and I'm bruised and battered. And uh, I thought this morning's going to be terrible, but I don't ache as much. So that's that's the first good thing. Um, uh, coffee. I love coffee. I love coffee. Coffee is much bigger in Australia than it is in the UK. And I've now coffee fiend. I used to be a tea fiend. I'm a coffee fiend. So mm. that's always an amazing thing to do every day is to drink some coffee. It makes me happy. The third thing was I was uploading an edit last night and it worked. The little things in life are so pleasurable. Absolutely. You are so funny. What are you most looking forward to today? Since it is early for you. Yeah. Spending spending some time with my daughter, who's constantly on at me saying, can you play with me, daddy? Mm. And I'm constantly saying, I'm, I've been working. I've got to, because when you're working at home, they've got access to you 24 seven. So they constantly, they constantly can come in and go playtime. And I feel so, so guilty. So um, having just delivered an edit, I can now say, yes, today is yours. Yay. How old is your daughter? She's five. Oh, all right, Stephen. Listen, I so appreciate you taking the time today, really, to be with me in the moment. It was such fun. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Thank you very much. I've been speaking today with Stephen Sander. You can check out my beautiful stutter now streaming exclusively on Discovery+. Plus. If you've been enjoying Stop Time Live in the Moment podcast, please let me know by leaving a review and subscribing. We are heading into season three, so stay safe, stay healthy, and remember to live in the moment. In music, stop time is that beautiful moment where the band is suspended in rhythmic unison, supporting the soloist to express their individuality. In the moment, I encourage you to take that time and create your own rhythm. Until next time, I'm Lisa Hopkins. Thanks for listening.